0: So, we are continuing our journey in the book of Acts this morning. We've started a a fly-by overview. We're going to spend nine weeks in the book of Acts looking at key points of the spreading of the gospel and and Christ keeping his promise to build his church. That was our first series, looking back in Matthew 16. And in the book of Acts, we get to see how he keeps that promise as he sends his spirit From heaven on high, down and and empowers and fills his disciples. So his presence literally is with his disciples. He's no longer beside them. He ascended to heaven. But he said something better is in store for you. And that is that God is going to be with you in your heart. So we see the kingdom of God invading earth, beginning with the heart's of of his people and then the holy spirit powers them to go outside the walls of their home and they preach the gospel to thousands that are gathered in jerusalem thousands come to faith in christ and they repent and they believe and and the holy spirit then indwells them so a gospel movement is spreading and it's spreading through the church what a gift that god has given this new temple Of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament era. And we're just amazed because they speak so boldly. They speak so plainly. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no hedging. There's no trying to appease their Jewish friends. They say it like it is. And and this morning as we get to Acts chapter 4. We see opposition begins to form. That firm presence of God and, and that gospel preaching now has consequences when people refuse to listen and hear. We see the church begin to be battered and opposed, even persecuted and they do not give ground to those opposing them. And we see that the church is, is battered but not beaten and so even today, What can we take away from this? That the church today needs to be bold in the face of opposition. It's our main takeaway. The church needs to be bold in the face of opposition. If you're joining us uh, online watching this message later this week, I want to encourage you to join us there in the Book of Acts, Chapter Four. Thank you for joining us, and I hope that as you hear the word taught and, and encourages you, if you live in the area, you would even consider coming and being a part of our core team here as we grow from the ground up. We build that core group, and then we launch out September 18th will be our our big launch. But but for now, we're turning our attention to the Word of God. So, Acts Chapter Four, verses. 1 through 13. Let me read that for us, and then we will move over to Acts chapter 5. It's the same story kind of repeated over again, uh, kind of a deja vu there in Acts 5, verses 27 to 42. So let me uh, read that for us now. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, uh, first of all, I just had this question pop in my mind. What is the last time that I annoyed anyone by talking about Jesus. Okay, that's a, that's a convicting thought. Okay, I just, I had to confess that. I had to get that out in front of the group. That's what came across to mind as I read this. Okay, in Acts chapter four, verse five now. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. For the record, these are the same men that killed Jesus and made sure he got to the cross And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, so this is the first encounter of opposition. The first record of of what you call persecution for preaching the gospel. They are arrested. And then they are released. Arrested again. You'll see later in chapter 4. And this is why I tell y'all, you know, read this passage in between each week. There's so much that... That the reason we're going over is because we're trying to keep that bird's eye view of of the the movement of the gospel through the church to the nations. But but God miraculously releases the disciples from prison and says, go back out in the temple and start preaching again. So that's exactly what they do. And this time, the temple guard, instead of coming and arresting them, they say, hey, would you guys just come with us and and talk with the religious leaders again? And they do. They do. They willingly go. And that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Here we go again. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Oh, you. It looks like his heart is pricked a little bit as he says that. You, You want to make us feel guilty for killing this Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. Amen. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. We've seen it. So is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. there's sh- Simply reporting what they have seen and experienced for themselves. And when the religious leaders heard this, verse 33, they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. And when they had called in the apostles. Okay, so, okay, so, so, I, so I, I had to, to, to skip over a section. But, but the, the uh, religious leaders talked amongst themselves. And Gamaliel speaks up and says... Be careful what you do with these men, okay? So so they don't kill them. But verse 40, when they called in the apostles, they beat them. And they said, charged them again, do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What a testimony. And I am just humbled to even read such an account. Is this really true? Was there a day when the church actually lived like this? This boldness like a lion in the face of opposition? So here's what what the Lord is speaking on my heart. And I believe we need to take away from these passages in Acts 4 and 5. How do we be bold in the face of opposition? First of all, boldly preach the gospel. I know you're thinking, wait a second, Josh, how does that work? So we need to be bold, so just be bold? How does it work like that? Well, well, here's an illustration I want you to think of. So in the game of basketball, when you're in the fourth quarter and there's just a few seconds left, and you have that player who gets fouled, And he has to go to the charity stripe or the free throw line, whatever you want to call it. And the game hinges on whether he sinks those free throws or not. And there's thousands of people watching. And there's people tuning in online. And and there's commentators, you know, speaking through the microphones. And, you know, his family's in the audience watching all that pressure. You know what he can't think to himself? What if I miss this? What if I make a fool of myself? Oh, my goodness, like my life is going to be over. He's got to think, I've got to hit this shot. Everything that I've learned, I've got to step up and I've got to hit this shot. That's what my focus has to be on. And so that's why I'm calling us church. Before we start psychoanalyzing and start, you know, oh, how do we, how do we gain more boldness? And what does the text say about more boldness? First of all, we need to be bold. <laughs> Let's just start there. That's our mindset. We need to be bold When we preach the gospel. Now that doesn't mean I'm I'm bold just in my political opinions, in some of my theological opinions that are, you know, fourth tier in level of importance. You know, I was talking about Kate with Caleb about this the other day, like the timing of Christ's return and those things. Hey, that's important, but that's not as important as the gospel. Okay? That's black and white. This is eternal life or eternal death. Boldly preach the gospel. Now, look at Peter in verses 8 to 13 of chapter 4. I mean, just the boldness from this guy. Is this the same guy that denied Jesus three times in his hour of need and ran away in the dark and hid when the Son of Man was slain on the cross? Is this the same guy? Because he addresses those Pharisees and he doesn't back down. He 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 has a, a sly remark. Are we on trial here today because we did a good deed? We're on trial because we healed somebody? Okay, if that's what we're on trial for, then let me just say it's because of Jesus Christ this man has been healed. Okay, okay. If we're on trial for that, for doing something good, not doing something bad, here it is. The name of Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, whom you crucified. The stone you rejected is the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. Look at the boldness of Peter. And even the Pharisees, they they take a step back. Wait, these guys are uneducated. They're common. What? Oh, they've been with Jesus, though. They saw that. They've been with Jesus. So I'm not Jesus. And I'm not Peter. So how do I get this boldness? We get it from the same spirit. The same power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in the life of the church. That's why prayer is how the mission advances. That's how God's work continues. It's not through my efforts. It's not just through, oh, let me be bold. It's let me be bold in the spirit that God has given me, in his strength. That's my mindset. Day after day. Because the spirit of Christ has come inside my heart when I put my faith in him. And Jesus said, the helper that I'm giving you is of the same substance as me. It's the same stuff. You could say layman's terms the same stuff but it's not it it's it's a person it's the spirit of christ inside of us so the same guy that denied jesus and ran away now stands up boldly what's the difference the holy spirit and it's the same holy spirit that you can have in you if you put your faith in jesus and we see in uh, verses 29 and 30 and 31 when they've been released and they report these things back to the church, what's their first prayer? Lord, give us more boldness. It's getting thick out here. Our, 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 our sons and our husbands are getting arrested out here. But, Lord, don't let us slow down now. Don't let our feet carry us the wrong way. Lord, give us boldness. And God shakes the place where they are. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And because the Spirit is the power, here's how I want to encourage all of us this morning. You don't have to have a seminary education to be bold for Christ. You don't have to be raised in the church. You don't have to know what all the books of the Bible are. It's not where our boldness comes from. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, don't spend too much time thinking about what you're going to say when you're on trial. My Spirit will tell you what to say. It's not your, your smarts. It's not your, I'm not saying we shouldn't get in the Bible and get deep in the Word. But it's our dependence on the power of God that the gospel moves forward. So whether you're a businesswoman, whether you're a mom, whether you're a a fisherman, a child even, God can speak through us and he desires to. He didn't give us his spirit for no reason. There's also power in the gospel itself. They saw that they had been with Jesus. And look at Peter's message. He says, Jesus is the Christ. And through his death and his resurrection, we have been given salvation. And there's salvation in no one else's name. So we have to be clear here. The gospel is not just a way to heaven. It is the way. And can I submit to us, this is what our world hates the most. They're okay if you have personal religious convictions. They're okay. Oh, you, you're a Christian? Okay, well, my other neighbor's Buddhist, and I'm, I'm just a non, you know, so you do you, and I'll do me, and we'll all be good. But Jesus is the only way Oh, all that rage starts to dwell. Who do you think you are? I'm a witness. I'm just a witness. So the world's problem really isn't with me. It's with God. And that's where I think we need to keep that mindset of, You know, do I shrink back when opposition comes? Their problem is not with us. It is a spiritual problem with their Lord, which is why they need the gospel to begin with. And if we step back from that and we shy away from that and we soften the gospel to not offend people, we're giving them poison instead of the antidote for their spiritual disease. There's power in the gospel. Just unleash it. Let the word do the heavy lifting. That's why when I preach, I preach the word. I let the word do the driving. I let the text be the main points. It's not my opinion that that won't even reach past the first row in terms of its power. But the word of God that carries through you and beyond and changes lives. There's power in the gospel. And people need to be clear what is and is not the gospel. The gospel is not good works. The gospel is not going to church. It's the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to be received by faith. It's the most precious gift in the world. And you would never want to give that away in a million years because we need to be prepared for that opposition. And that's the second point we see. We need to boldly speak the gospel. The world will oppose us. The world will oppose the church. We see the disciples were arrested and then they were arrested again and then they were somewhat arrested, but really just guided to, to the uh, to the chamber of the Pharisees because they realized, hey, these guys got set free miraculously, so we don't know what to do with that. But as you look forward in Acts, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death. Acts chapter 12, James is killed with a sword. Acts 14, Paul is stoned, and as best as I can understand, he, he really was stoned to death and dragged outside the city, but the scripture says, and then he just stood up and walked back in the city. Okay, that's supernatural. Okay, that's not, you know, after you've been stoned, you don't just get up and, and God had his hand on, on Paul. But there's, there's opposition. There's persecution. How many of you are watching the Winter Olympics a little bit here and there? Where where the Olympics take place? China. In China. China is number 17. On the countries that are most dangerous, best we can tell, in opposition to the gospel and the church. In fact, as I as learned a little bit more about what goes on in China, what the persecuted church has to go through, pretty much every single pastor that is responsible for a gathering, at some point they're going to be arrested and, and sent to jail. In fact, their seminary education is what they call jail the prison. If, if I were to go over to China and say, hey, you know, I feel called to be a pastor of your congregation, they would say, how much time have you spent in prison? How do we know we can really trust you when the chips are down? That's just how they live week in and week out. Lord, forgive me that I'm afraid of what somebody thinks of me. And they say, yeah, we're going to go to prison for this. But this matters. This matters more than that. I'm going to spend three years apart from my family, seven years, ten years. I can't imagine saying goodbye to my family, and I'll see them in ten years when they're all ten years older. And, and our, our baby that's on the way in April, what if, I, what if I get to meet him for the first seven years of his life? Because I'm being beaten and, and abused in prison for my faith. This is a reality in our world today. The world opposes the church. Not just communism, although that's one form of it. The world opposes it. Because they oppose our Savior. The Pharisees were filled with jealousy. That's what chapter 5 verse 17 tells us. They had an established system. they were powerful. You can just kind of see the, the uh, what's the word? the loftiness of, of how they think of themselves. and they all gathered together together, the Sanhedrin, about 70 members, And they're all gathered in this court, and they put these these two or or three disciples right there in the midst. And they're like, look at us. We're the strong ones here. We're going to tell you how it is. We're going to exercise our authority and flex our muscles. And the disciples are the ones who are actually putting them uh, on retreat. Like, what do we do with these guys? They're so bold. You would think that that chamber room was home court advantage for the disciples, and you would be right. Because the spirit of the Lord is over all of this earth. This is because Jesus reigns over all. So wherever we go, Christian, we are an embassy of our king. Wherever I'm, st- I'm standing right now, the word of Jesus goes forth here. And where you're sitting, the spirit of Jesus is. The disciples aren't afraid. Why? Jesus is king here. Not you guys. You guys have, have way too big a view of yourself. My king rules here. And this opposition will test our faith. First Peter four twelve says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come to test you. As if they are unexpected. It should not surprise us when when we touch a nerve on somebody by showing them that that we are all sinners and we're all deserving of condemnation. We need a savior. It was offensive to me when I heard it first. The spirit helped me to lower my defenses and say, this is truth. I need to accept it. So there will be fiery trials in our life. We will be told to shut up. And I pray that we'll have the boldness like the disciples to say, we must obey God rather than men. And then to rejoice that we get to suffer with Christ because it's about his name, not me. It's about the victory of Christ, not my victory. I might lose a friend, but if I advance the cause of Christ, it's worth it. I can't believe that I'd be even worthy, that, that, not be worthy, that Christ would consider me worthy to give me an opportunity to suffer so that his name would be glorified. I went through a book study in the fall at West Bradenton Baptist Church, actually. Before we started Living Hope, we were over at West Bradenton, looking to spread the word about what we were doing and starting this church in West Brayton led us through a small group study called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripken. Have you heard of this? I have a book and I'm willing to lend it to you, but you need to read. These are stories of the persecuted church over the last few years or centuries, or not centuries, or decades in the Soviet Union, in Somalia, in uh, Afghanistan, uh, you name it. All around the world, Nick Ripkin travels, and he interviews these missionaries in secret locations. He doesn't even tell us where it is. He doesn't tell us real names. And he tells a story of this man in the former Soviet Union. He went to prison. His name was Dmitry, or at least that's the name we're given, and he was a house pastor. Did you guys ever read that book? Yeah. So he was a house pastor, and he taught the Bible. He just started with his family. The neighbors heard about it. The neighbors came together. And a church just formed. That wasn't his attention, but God just brought a church together, and the authorities threatened him. They said, stop it. You stop building this church. He's like, what church? I'm just teaching the Bible, and these people show up. So, is that funny how the authorities can say, this is what a church looks like? And he wasn't even expecting that. So God works through us. So he continued to be faithful, and they eventually arrested him. Lost his job. They threw him in prison for 17 years. For 17 years, he faced opposition, beatings, horrible mistreatment, disgusting, smelly things being thrown on him and on his food, on top of just the regular horrible living conditions. But he said, I did two things every day. I want to stay faithful to this. First of all, in the, in the morning when I got out of bed, I raised my hands to the sky and I sang a song of love to Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I don't know the song, it was, it was in, a, in a Russian dialect, but he sang a love song to Jesus. And then he found a piece of paper, you know, toilet paper or, or a scrap of paper anything, and he'd write down any Bible verses he could from memory. And then he'd, he'd stick them up on the ice that had formed in the corner of his, his cell. And then when the guards would come in, see the verse, they'd tear it down and they'd beat him. And that was his daily routine for 17 years. And towards the end of those 17 years, they started to play psychological tricks on him. They said, uh, your children have renounced Jesus. They've, they've become, you know, one of us. And, uh, and your wife is in the room next door, and we're, we're beating her up. And, and they even killed this woman in a room next door, and he thought it was his wife. And they just broke him down. And he said, okay, all right. You, you guys win. What do you want me to sign? I'll sign a paper, whatever. Just, just get me out of here. I, he was just broken beyond belief. Can you imagine 17 years of that? During the night, he wakes up. God allows him to hear the prayers of his family, who are still alive, who still love Jesus, and they're praying, God, give our daddy and our husband strength. Don't let him give up. Don't let him give in. It was a miraculous happening that he heard. So when the guards came in, he was strengthened and ready to go. He says, I'm not signing that. You lied to me. I know my family's okay. God, let me hear their prayers. So they beat him again, and they're like, we're done with you. We're going to take you out and execute you. So they're dragging him down the cell, or down down the hallway. They're going to take him outside. They're going to end his life. And as they're doing that, slowly, one by one, These prisoners around the cell block that have been watching them these 17 years start raising their hands to heaven. They start singing a song of love to Jesus. That song that they heard him sing every single day. 1,500 prisoners filled the prison with that song. And the guards stopped cold and they let him go. And they say, who are you? He says, I'm a son of the living God, and his name is Jesus. And they released him from prison shortly after that. (laughs) They got rid of him. We don't know what to do with this guy for 17 years. And that boldness didn't come from him. He was ready to give up. But God gives us just what we need to keep pressing on. And when we stay bold in the gospel, lives are changed. People see that. God bless you, Dimitri, wherever you are. And may we have an ounce of that kind of boldness from that same spirit. Here's our final point and my final encouragement. Despite all the opposition, guess what doesn't stop? The gospel. The work of God. Should that surprise us? The cross didn't stop Jesus. It actually fulfilled the Father's plan. The grave was a part of the Father's plan. Whatever grave experience you go through, the death... The valley of the shadow, the pain, the hardship, the anxiety, that is a part of God's plan for the spreading of his joy to all people of all nations. The gospel doesn't stop. Look at verse four in chapter four. Thousands more came to Christ. Chapter five, verse 42. Every day they did not cease teaching and preaching the Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. And just look at the book of Acts. This is the whole theme of Acts. The word Keeps going. The word continues to spread. Man, what an awesome thing! The gates of hell will not stop the gospel. Chains do not stop the gospel. Stonings don't stop the gospel. Hey, what about division in the church? Doesn't stop the gospel. God works through that. What about mobs? An angry mob that just yell? And Can they stop? Nope. They can't stop the gospel. Even the Roman emperor himself and his and his cronies and his soldiers cannot. Stop the gospel. You see, even those Roman governors at, at the end of uh, the book of Acts. Like, it's like, these guys don't have a clue of what they're doing. God works through it. The gospel will not be stopped. And so how do, we, how do we take encouragement away from that today? Nothing can happen in your family or in your life that's outside the will of God. God is working through that. Now, am I saying that you know, it's God's will for you to sin? so that good can be brought through it. No. Paul is very clear. Don't sin more so that grace can abound more. But if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And if people hurt us, God turns that for good. Joseph tells his brothers in Genesis fifty twenty, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He only ever means good for his people. And his will will be accomplished because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So here we have a huge mission field, friends. And and most of these people want nothing to do with Jesus. They don't even see why they would need a Jesus. And the laborers are few. But make no mistake, God's kingdom is advancing. Satan's kingdom is ending. The gospel will not be stopped. And are we centering our lives on that reality today? So let's refresh the main point. The church needs to be bold in the face of opposition. That's clear from the text. we learn that from the narrative before us. So let's boldly preach the gospel. Let's not be surprised when the world opposes the church because they oppose our Savior. But let's take courage to know that the gospel will not be stopped. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And Caleb, as you come up, and we'll, uh, we'll worship in song in just a moment. But I have some closing questions for us. If we knew that the kingdom of God wouldn't fail, what would we attempt for God this week? Because we know the kingdom of God won't fail, right? And if we knew we had good news that we could share and that could rescue someone's life for all of eternity, would we share it? If I knew that I had the ear of God Most High... And he says, ask and you will receive. And I can ask him anything that's on my heart. What would I ask for this week? And if I knew I could hear from him right this second by opening up his word. Am I spending time in his word this week? To hear from my living active of God who does not stop? My friends, let Jesus be our everything this week. Let's be filled with Jesus. Let's love Jesus with all our heart. Love our neighbors, and we will boldly share the gospel, even in the face of opposition. Our Heavenly Father, God, this is your word. I am not the best teacher, Lord. This is not uh, the best possible treatment of of the passage, I'm sure. But, Lord, I pray that your spirit is working through, even still. Oh, God, that you would please bring about fruit from this. Soften my heart, Lord, and embolden me to speak the truth not being afraid of what others say. God, I pray for living hope that we would see a church established that would be a light to the nations, that you would take us and use us. We are small, Lord. We're just a handful, but so were the disciples in the early church. And we have the same spirit. So let's go, Lord. Call us. We're following your lead. Build us. Use us to change lives around us, we pray. It's in Christ's name we pray.